Would you grab your Bibles and open to Mark chapter 2? Mark chapter 2. It's been good over these last couple weeks to have a few other voices step in. They've done such a great job. So thankful to Pam and to Lucinda and to Brian. I'm still dancing from last week a little bit, so I got a little little beat still going on there. Uh, It's been so good to hear the Word of God through uh, different messengers, and that's been uh, really helpful for my heart and I hope for yours as well. They set the bar really high, so honestly, I'm a little nervous today, but I'm going to see if I can pull it off. I know I'm ready to jump into this. Uh, We're actually going to take a break from the series that we've been in kind of. So uh, the series that we've been going through this summer is called Living Counter. And the idea of that series is that the culture is running headlong away from the gospel. And so if we're to be people who stand up for the gospel, we're going to be living counter to the culture around us. We're going to be standing firm in a culture that's flowing a different direction. And so today, as we take a pause, we're really going to say, what's the implication of doing that? What's it look like in a very tangible and practical way? What's it look like for us to stand up for Christ in the midst of a culture that's flowing in different directions? So that's ultimately going to take us to Mark chapter 2. But I want to start uh, start here. Uh, I don't know how much you look at surveys and statistics uh, of what's happening in the world around you. But have you seen that there's a dramatic increase in nuns in North America? Now... You're thinking about very devoted Catholic women who wear black. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, Not nun, N-U-N, but a dramatic increase of nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Nuns are those, uh, that category of people that statisticians talk about who, when surveyed, respond that their religious affiliation is none. Uh, So that category of nuns would be those who are atheists, those who are agnostics, or those who, when given a survey, and I'm going to quote this because I just love the language, respond that their religion is, quote, nothing in particular. I love that. Like, nothing in particular. That's, that's me. I'm nothing in particular. Uh, that's the category that has uh, traditionally been called the nuns. And in North America, uh, particularly in the United States, over a sustained period of time, the nuns have been a very small percentage of the population. It was quite alarming to statisticians in 2005 when the nuns reached 16% of the population. That was a dramatic increase over the decades that had been slowly climbing. And in 2005, according to the Pew Research Center, it crossed over 2016, or it crossed over 16%. We're all waiting for census data. Um, Most people agree that by the time we get the census data, it's going to be outdated. That's kind of the way it works. Um, To see what 2020 looked like. But again, according to Pew Research, um, from 2007 to 2015, that number of nuns increased from 16% to 23%. Almost one in every four people in the U.S. said they had no religious affiliation. What's even more alarming is that 23% number jumps when it comes to millennials, those who are aged roughly between 25 and 40, to 35%. Over a third of the population claims no religious affiliation. The question is, what do we do with that? As those who probably almost 100% of the people in this room, if they were to fill out a survey, 
would have some variation of faith in Jesus as part of that survey. And maybe you'd be saying, ah, I'm not sure. I'm, I would at least loosely affiliate anywhere from that to deeply committed to following Jesus. You, you'd probably check a box in there somewhere. What do we do with a world where at least in one category, and this was uh, six years ago, likely dramatically outdated by now, one in three people of a certain age group and one in four people overall would say they have no religious affiliation at all. It's, of course, uh, it seems logical that it's no wonder that the world is running headlong away from the gospel if so many people aren't interested in the gospel. But I'd like to give you maybe a, another twist on that. And I'd like to, before we get to Mark chapter 2, tell you another story, probably one you're familiar with, from the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 18, there's this really odd story that, uh, that unfolds. Before Minneapolis and St. Paul and Minnesota were the twin cities, there were another famous group of twin cities in the ancient Near East. You probably have heard of them, Sodom and Gomorrah, the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and in Genesis chapter 18, God the Father comes to Abraham and he tells Abraham, I am going to destroy these two cities. They are so rampantly immoral, injustice has overrun everything, I'm going to destroy these cities. Now, um, Abraham's nephew Lot lived in Sodom. And so he was telling Abraham in order that he would know the, the uh, result of what was going to happen in Sodom. But Abraham enters into this conversation with God. It's really fascinating. And he comes to God and he says, but I, I hear what you're saying, God. I'm going to paraphrase a bunch. I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I, I'm not sure that's a good idea. This is always a great way to start a conversation with God, right? Like, I know you're the master of the universe and I'm just me, but I have a plan, you know? So he comes to God and he says, what if there were 50 righteous people? Surely you wouldn't destroy the righteous along with the wicked, this is where we get uh, that very famous statement about God. Surely the God of the universe will do what is just, Abraham said. And God says, you're right. For 50 righteous people, I would spare them. And so Abraham says, oh, oh, hold, hold on a minute. Um, what if there were five less? Certainly you wouldn't change your behavior just for five less. If there were 45 instead of 50, certainly you would still. And God says, yes, you're right. I would spare them. And if you know the story, Abraham continues in this, uh, this interaction. He gets down to 40 and 30 and 20 and ultimately 10. And God says, you're right. Even for 10 righteous people, I would spare the city. And then the conversation ends. And then Genesis 18 ends and Genesis 19 begins. And if you're familiar with the flow of the narrative, it begins with Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed. Now, there's lots of implications to the story, but here's the one I want you to see. It's easy for us to think that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because there was rampant wickedness, and there was. Incredible immorality, there was. All kinds of injustice, individual injustice and systemic injustice, and there was, and all of it was evil in the sight of God. Violence breaking out all over the city, divisions all through society, evil in the sight of God. And in our minds... The cities were destroyed because of all the wickedness. But when you read that story, the cities were destroyed not because of the wickedness, but because of the lack of goodness. Not even 10 good people. Now, there's all kinds of gospel implications that we can get to another day. But for today, what I want you to hear is this. 
what, what is necessary in a culture that is running rampantly away from the gospel is for people who love Jesus to act like they love Jesus. For the righteous to live righteously. What was absent in Sodom and Gomorrah was the light being the light. Darkness is expected to be darkness, but the light wasn't present. What we're called into as a people is to be light in the darkness. Rick Richardson, in his book, You Found Me, talks about this idea of the nuns and the way that they're growing in America. He says this, the primary problem the church faces is not the shifting or hostile culture around us. The primary problem is us. The greatest problem we face is not the nunning of America, but rather the nunning and secularizing of the church. What's he mean? Not that we would check a different box on the census survey. Most of us would check a box that says that we affiliate with some form of religion or some form of Christianity. But our life doesn't match the checkbox. In so many cases, we're checking a box and then living like a nun. Living like a culture that is secularized like everyone else around us. The story of Mark chapter 2 has lots of implications. One of those implications is what it means for us as the people of God to act like the people of God. So Bill's going to come and read for us Mark 2, 1 to 12. Listen to the word of God as Bill reads it for us. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Sons, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts. Mm. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. 
Thank you, Bill. So there's lots in this story. I, I want us to zero in on the friends, these four friends that brought the paralytic. And I want to look at what it means to be faithful people in relationship in the midst of a culture that's flowing the other direction. Three things about these friends. They saw the need in the world around them, specifically with their friend. They took a risk, and they knew their role. Friends see the need, friends take a risk, and friends know their role. It's where we're headed. So Mark starts by saying when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, uh, we'll get back to that in just a minute, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. They came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. The first thing I want you to see is that these four friends saw the need of their friend. Now, now you may say, yeah, he was paralyzed. It was pretty evident, right? Like, they're all like five of them hanging out talking, and they're like, hey, let's go down the block and get ice cream. And four of them stand up and walk, and the other guy's like, remember, I can't move. Remember? Like, so, like, probably didn't wave his hand, right? Anyway, like, like of course, they saw that need. But there's a difference between knowing that he had a need and actually seeing the need. They looked at him and knew there was something that was going on that they couldn't fix, that he couldn't do anything about. And so I believe uh, that they, they didn't know, but they heard and hoped and thought maybe Jesus might be the answer. I don't think they knew that Jesus was the answer. I think they thought Jesus is the only hope we got. We can't fix him. <laughs> so we're, we're going to step into it. They saw the need and it was forefront in their mind. They cared about his need beyond their own. For many of us, our challenge in the world is that we look at people around us and we don't see any need. Everybody looks pretty good. Like they have a nice house, they have a nice job, they have a good family. Things are, things are generally pretty good. And so as we get to know people at a level, everything seems pretty good. Here's the thing. If you have relationships with people deeper than that level, even if it's just a handful of people, and if you have more than a five-minute conversation with them and they really trust you, you're going to find out that there's need everywhere. It just requires us listening well enough to actually hear. These friends were real friends because they saw the need. And as we allow people to be honest with us, what you find is that there's this deep level of brokenness, this, this desire for people who don't have a, a deep and vital relationship with Jesus, this, this longing for the transcendent that's in all of us. And when it's not there, when, it, when it's missing, it feels like it's missing. Like there's a longing that's in there. It may not be, let's say it this way, it may not be full paralysis, but I guarantee you, you'll start to see a limp if you get to know people. But that requires us listening. If you were with us in the spring, we talked about an acronym, BLESS. What does it look like to bless the people around us? And we used those five letters of bless to spell out a way that we engage a relationship. It felt like kind of a steps to a process, but it's really just being in relationship with people. We, we said you begin with prayer, that we are people, because of our relationship with Jesus, who constantly want to hear what Jesus has to say about the world around us, including our relationship with our friends. And so we bring our friends before God, and we, we discern, we listen, we begin with prayer. But then the second word, that, that L, is that we would listen to them. 
that we would really have relationship where we listen. For so many of us, we begin with prayer and then we jump to the last S, which is share your story, and we're like, I prayed, so now listen to all the stuff I have to tell you. Here's the answer to the questions you didn't even know you had, and here's the solution to the problems you didn't even realize were problems. And they're like, what? <laughs> right? Because we haven't listened. We haven't discerned where they actually are. Our, the, the, the second step is to listen. Then the, the E of bless is to eat together. And the goal of eating together is not physical sustenance. I mean, eating is good. We're glad to eat. But the goal is, as we gather around the table, that those relationships go deeper. It's actually a, a second level of listening. As we, as we break bread together and as we are social with one another, uh, those, those relationships build more deeply. There's trust that's built, and we begin to listen at another level. At first S is that we would serve one another and be served by one another. So now we're starting to meet some practical needs and allowing them to meet practical needs, again, in order to grow relationships at a deeper level. This isn't just a, a, a verbal relationship. This is an all-encompassing relationship. We're journeying together. And then, finally, we share our story. Why is that all the way at the end? Well, because you don't know the questions you're answering until you know the questions. You don't know the problems that need solutions until you have enough relationship to really get down to the problem. For so many of us, we're answering questions that people aren't even asking. We're giving solutions to problems that people aren't even aware that they have, if they have them at all. So there's a process of listening that we need to be willing to engage. These friends saw the need of their friend. And when they did, they took a pretty radical risk. Now, this story for you May, um, it, it, it may not hit you as deeply as it should, because if you've been in church your whole life, you probably saw this story on the flannel board, right? And you saw little cartoon figures and things stuck and coming down through the roof and all, all the things. And, and it's like, yeah, yeah, they, they, they did the thing with the roof. So, so just try to picture it. Mark, uh, in Mark chapter 1, lays out the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He, he lays out this, this fast-paced ministry as Jesus begins to declare the gospel. All these people are gathering. He's teaching, and he's healing, and he's teaching some more, and he's healing some more. And these massive crowds are gathering. And the disciples are, like, pumped. Like, they're like, Jesus is doing all this great stuff. I believe they've already, like, laid the foundation for the megachurch that they're getting ready to build. Like, they're excited. And Jesus goes out into the wilderness, and he hears from the Father, and he's like, yeah, we got to leave here and go somewhere else. And they're like, what? What's, like, what's happening? And so as he goes somewhere else, immediately there's another he it's a fascinating story, not for today. And then the, the, way that, the way it reads is he basically goes on vacation. He like takes a break. Like this is a, a great theology of rest, right? Unfortunately, he did not have Southwest and he couldn't just like hop on a plane and get away. He was there. He's kind of stuck there. And, and so people started to hear about him. And so as he comes back into Capernaum, out of the desolate place, out of this point of rest, people begin to hear about him. And, and what Mark tells us is that it was reported that he was at home, and so everybody gathered together to hear him teach. There was no more room, and Jesus was teaching all of them. Now, I think it's fascinating. Mark doesn't record for us what he was teaching, which is probably a good reminder to those of us who teach for a living to remember that we're only so important, right? Like nobody's going to remember. It's okay. Uh, no, nobody has any idea what Jesus taught. Mark doesn't care. What Mark wants to tell us is the story around all that stuff. So picture it. Jesus would have been Middle Eastern style sitting in front and all of these people would have been standing around. Uh, the, the house would have been full of people who were standing outside of the house, open air windows. Uh, they all would have been all around, maybe four or five or six or more deep all around the house. And these friends hear that Jesus is there. And they're like, okay, we got to get our friend over to Jesus because Jesus might be able to do something. We're not sure. He might be able to do something. Well, let's pick up the mat and they go. They get over there and they're like, 
whoa, there's all these people. Not, whoa, whoa, no, can't go that way. Can't. Like, they, and they think Jesus can only heal him if he sees him. So I knew, we need to figure this out, right? And so they do what's natural, right? They climb up on top of their roof. They tear off the roof. And they, like, do you get this? Like, this is crazy stuff. Like, they ripped the roof off the house so this guy could go down. Now, if you've been around the church for a while, you've probably heard somebody say, Middle Eastern homes are not the same as American homes, and so there's thatch work and, and dirt and things that make them, and then it's going to be dug through in a different way. True. All that's true. They tore the roof off the house. Like, that's crazy. Like, they, they were so, so desperately needed to get their friend in front of Jesus that nothing would be too much of a barrier. Like, they ripped the roof off the house. I mean, th- there are some implications, right? Like, probably they had to rebuild the roof. At least they had to pay somebody to rebuild. Like, something had to happen, right? But beyond that, imagine all these people, dozens, hundreds of people, they're all listening to Jesus talk. Like, Jesus is teaching, and they're like, wow, that's really good. And all of a sudden, it's like, like, what? What is going on? Are you serious? Like, what is happening right now? And I, all of a sudden, all of it drops through, and a bunch of them are dirty, right? And they look up, and these guys are like, hi, right? Like, how, how y'all doing down there, right? Like, this is crazy. Like, these people would have been saying, Jesus is talking right now. Shh. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, what are you making a hole in the roof for? <laughs> They're risking everything. They're sacrificing their reputation, their finances, their time, their energy, their passion. Everything goes to getting this guy in front of Jesus. Their primary and only concern is that they would get this guy in front of Jesus. If we are going to be people who are concerned about our friends, who really see the need, we're going to have to take risks. We're going to have to be willing to step out Kevin Harney in his book, Organic Outreach for Churches, says this, any church that takes outreach seriously will quickly learn that sacrifice is essential. Just as Jesus left the glory of heaven, emptied himself, and was willing to suffer to bring grace to this lost and broken world, we also must sacrifice and suffer to share his good news with others. The sacrifice that we make, by and large, is outing ourselves as people who believe that Jesus is the answer to the question. For most of us, can we just agree, if you have any cursory history of church, uh, any knowledge of church history, you know that placed on a scale over the last 2,000 years, what we call persecution, intentionally put into quotes, is very limited compared to what's happening even right now around the world. When we step out, and we out ourselves as somebody who believes that Jesus might be the answer to the problem that you have, all we're doing is maybe stepping down in coolness a little bit, right? Uh, as though we are still all middle schoolers trying to fit in on the crowd, right? And see, here's the thing. Like, we, we long to have this place where Jesus rises to the level of cool, of, of like Jesus is like the, the rad guy that everybody wants to be with, right? We want him to rise to the level of cool so that when we lead people to Jesus, we won't take a hit relationally. But see, here's the problem. Jesus is never going to be cool. I'm sorry. I, I hate to break it to you. No matter how much our lights are, and I really like this place, and I think this looks pretty hip, honestly. I think it looks pretty good. But it, 
it's not cool because Jesus is in the center of it. And see, cool by definition is a layering of people. Some people are cool and some people aren't cool. And if that's not the case, then the people who are cool aren't cool, right? Because th- there's a layer and, and you can't be cool unless somebody isn't. And Jesus is for everybody. And so Jesus is never gonna be cool because he's always inviting in the not cool people, right? So there's some of you who are like very naturally like hip and cool. Congratulations, you're awesome. The rest of us are still invited. Like that's the way it goes, too bad. We're here, (laughs) you gotta get over it because Jesus invites all of us. And so Jesus by definition is always going to be a step out. We're always going to be with the apostle Paul having to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. We have to be willing to step forward. That's the risk that we take. And look, it's not a huge risk, but there are times that it feels insurmountable. And you know what makes us take the risk? Seeing the need of our friends. If we saw the people around us like these guys saw their paralyzed friend and knew the only answer to the question is Jesus, we would look at the world a lot differently. But these friends, they they know their role. They are willing to take the risk, but in the end, all they're doing is bringing their friend to Jesus. Like, get this, they're not healing him. They're not the ones who are making him stand up and walk. They're not the ones who are forgiving sins. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. they're, They're not the ones who are doing any of that stuff. All they're doing is getting him to Jesus. Now, for most of us, if we were faced with a paralyzed friend, there's a bunch of stuff that we would try to do. Like, um, a chairlift in his house so he can get to the second floor. A motorized wheelchair, that would be good. Like, how about public transportation that would allow him to get from point A to point B with the wheelchair? What about um, having, like, one of those really sweet carts at Sam's Club or Walmart or whatever that runs around and you can get all your groceries? Those things are dangerous, by the way. If they come, get out the way. Those things, you never know what's going to happen when those things are out. But we would, like, try to figure out all that stuff, right? We'd figure out all, all, of, the, all the stuff. Why? Because that's all stuff we can do. I can fix that. I can fix that. I can fix that. But see, these guys knew we might be able to help our friend get from point A to point B and get some groceries and get up and down the stairs of his house. We might be able to do that. But what he needs is to walk. And we can't do that. And so they're bringing him to Jesus. With intentionality, they're bringing him to Jesus. Jesus is the answer to the question. Tim Chester likes to say, what's the question? Jesus is the answer. What's the problem? Jesus is the solution. It's that simple. That when you get down to the core, what's really necessary, and it feels overly simplistic, but when you get all the way down to the bottom, Jesus is the answer to the question. Jesus is the solution to the problem. And they know it. And so their goal is not to fix him. Their goal is not to help him. Their goal is to get him to Jesus. So many times we are answering the wrong questions for people because we never get down to the real questions. We're answering the question of how do I get the groceries rather than how can I walk? And they're bringing their friend to Jesus so he can walk. But what's really fascinating is Jesus sees a whole other question, right? So just imagine they're tearing off the roof, they rip off the roof, and they start to lower this guy down, and Jesus sees them, and they're not sure, like, is he going to yell at them? Is he going to say, like, what's he, he going to ignore them? What's he going to do? And he looks up, and he sees these guys. Hey, y'all, you know, they, he see, sees them all. And the guy's, the guy's being lowered down, and Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven. And they have to be saying, what? 
That's not why we tore the roof off. Like, are you kidding me? Like, that's great. That's, that's lovely. But th- what we're doing here is different than that, right? But Jesus knows that the deeper question is still at issue. Yeah, you can help him get groceries, but you can't make him walk. Yeah, I can make him walk, but if I don't forgive his sins, there's still a problem. The real question underneath all of the questions is the brokenness of this guy's life, not just his legs. And so Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And then Jesus says, you can walk. That's for a later sermon on another day. Here's what I want you to hear. These friends did everything they could do to get their friend who had a real need that they could see, they were willing to take a risk in order to get that person in front of Jesus. So I want to lay out for you uh, an opportunity that we're going to have starting this fall that is a way that we can do this. It's not the only way to do it, but it's a way that we can be a part of bringing people to Jesus. One of the things I hear from people all the time is, I I know people need to ask questions, and I know people need to wrestle through all of this stuff, but when I sit across the table from them and they start answering questions, about three questions in, I feel like I'm totally over my head. Like, I I don't know what to say. I don't know where to go. I'm not sure what to do. And so I don't start the conversation because I know I can't finish the conversation. I know a lot of you feel that way. So there's a ministry, a global ministry that's been uh, going for several decades now called Alpha. Some of you are maybe familiar with Alpha. Uh, We are going to be launching our first Alpha groups in the fall. And what Alpha is, is a global ministry that's built around the fact that people need to ask questions. And people need to be free to ask lots of questions, comfortable to ask questions, so they can get all the way down in those questions to the real question. The goal is that they would come. Uh, Alpha is a video teaching series that uh, lays out all kinds of opportunities to ask questions as well as a group dynamic with facilitators who encourage those questions. And it's not beautifully about answering the questions. It's about asking more questions until we get down to the real question. It's designed for people who are trying to figure it out, who are trying to see who really is Jesus and why should I care? People who would either fit into that nun category or could, down the line, fit into that nun category if they don't get their questions answered. And so for a bunch of us, these are our friends. These are our people that we interact with, people in our neighborhood, people in our workplace, people that we are normally encountering who just have questions. And honestly, for some of you, it may be you. that You're saying, I I have some questions. Like, there's some stuff I got to figure out. Uh, But let me be really, really clear This is for people who are intending to find out more about Jesus. This is not, um, if, if you hear this and you think, that sounds like a wonderful way for me to grow in my walk with the Lord, then it's not for you. Like if you use the phrase, grow in my walk with the Lord, it's not for you. Like that's, that's a, a, a phrase that's out of bounds. Uh, this is not Bible study for Christians. This is not apologetics 101. This is an opportunity for people who have questions to be in a place where they can safely ask those questions. And so for most of you, this is going to be people that are your friends that, that you feel like, I'm just not, I, I don't feel equipped. I'm not sure what to do. Well, this would be a great step for them to step into something like this. For some of you, you hear this and you think, that sounds awesome. I want to lead something like that. I want to be a part of something like that. And if that's who you are, come talk to me. Uh, we're still putting together a leadership team, and we would love to have you be a part of that. But what we are looking for is a place where you and I, when we see the need of our paralyzed friend, can say, I'm willing to take the risk 
to out myself as somebody who loves Jesus and invite them into a place where they can encounter Jesus as well. Because in the end, you don't have to fix anybody. You can't. And you don't have to. But you do get the opportunity to bring people before Jesus. And I want to make sure I'm saying that clearly because most of the real work in the world around us, the big stuff, the eternal stuff, it's work that's done by God. It's not work that's done by us. Like we have this uh, very self-aggrandizing view as though we're really, really involved in lots of stuff. And, And God does involve us in all kinds of things. But we should have no misperception as to how the the roles go. It's an imperfect image, but this time of year, it's an image that I see a lot, and it's one that always uh, just warms my heart. If you're driving through a neighborhood this time of year, um, I don't see it all the time, but maybe three or four times a summer, I see this, uh, this kind of picture. I'm driving through the neighborhood, and I see a little kid, four, five, six, something like that, with a plastic lawnmower, pushing the plastic lawnmower. And then I see somewhere else in the yard, maybe close, maybe a little further away, dad with a real lawnmower mowing the grass, right? And the kid is just like chugging away, like over here, whoop, turn, chugging away, just doing his thing, right? And don't you know when that grass is completely mowed, that kid's going to walk inside and what's he going to say? Mom, guess what? Dad and I mowed the grass. Actually, he's going to say me and dad mowed the grass, but anyway. Right? Because he feels a part of it. He, he, she has been doing it. Now, did they do anything? No. They pushed a plastic lawnmower. Come on, get real. But they feel a part of it. These four guys, we don't know their story. They never show up again in the gospel. We don't know anything about them. We don't know their theology. I don't know anything about their stories. They didn't write any books of the Bible as far as I know. They're just four guys. Jesus did all the work but they became a part of the story. And we're invited to be a part of the story. We're invited to be people who step into what God's doing. So here's the way I want to challenge you. Back in the spring, I encouraged us all to find three people in our life that we could pray blessing over. You know, it's only the most militant, hardcore atheist that is not interested in having you pray blessing over them. Like if you come to me and you say, I want to pray blessing over you, I am not going to be offended or feel patronized. I'm going to be really thrilled about that. So just go ahead. As many of you as want to pray blessing, just go for it. I'm up for that. And, and when we go to our friends and we say, I just want to pray blessing for you, they're not bothered by that. They love that. They're thrilled about that. And so I, I would love for us each to have three people with intentionality that we're praying blessing over. People who either need to know Jesus or need to encounter Jesus in a new way, need to deepen their walk with Jesus. We're just going to pray for them intentionally. So much so, I would love for us to just have that be our language, where we just think, like, who are your three? So I see Tiffany. Tiffany, who are your three? Can can we pray right now for your three? Like, we got your three. She's, like, counting them out right now. Melanie, who are your three? Let's, Let's just pray. And we can, we would just know, who are your three? Who are your three? And we're just praying for one another. And then, as we get to the fall, we'll start to talk about Alpha. We'll give you lots more information. Maybe one of those three is the one that you need to have the, take the risk to make the invitation and say, come along, come and see. Let's ask questions. Let's walk through this together. And we pray with intentionality that God would prepare the way. And so I want to encourage, right now, all I want you to do is be people who are willing to, as we pray, allow God to open our eyes to the real needs of the people around us and begin to allow God to give us the courage to take the risk to invite people into meeting Jesus. Because that's our job. That's it. He does all the rest. 
as the team comes and leads us, it's going to be an opportunity for us to be able to uh, really drive that home in our own time with Jesus. But there's going to be some of you who are saying, I know me. And I know right now I'm pumped. And by this afternoon, I'm going to forget even what my three are even supposed to be. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Like three, uh, three uh, meals today. That's all I'm concerned about, right? <laughs> and so if that's you, and you know, like, I need, to, I need to say this out loud. I'm just going to ask you as we're singing, just grab somebody around you. It may be somebody that you know really well. It may be somebody that you don't know as well. And just say, hey, can I just, I, I, need, to, I, I need to be accountable to this. And I want to pray right now for maybe you know the three. And I want to pray right now for those three people. Or I don't know who the three are, but I want to pray with you. And I, wanna, I want you to ask me the next time you see me who my three are. Because I know I need to do this, and I don't want to, and I know I, I'm going to try to forget about it when I leave, and so I need to seal this in right now. And so if that's you, just real easily just put it to somebody and just say, hey, can we pray real quick? It doesn't need to be anybody specific. Whoever you feel like is the right person for you to do that, just walk over to them and just ask that you could pray together. But let's seal this and let's be people who see the needs of the world around us and are willing to take the risks so that Jesus can do the work that he desires to do. Let me pray for us. Jesus, your story is constantly unfolding in its beauty and its grace. You are inviting us in. And like the kid who's mowing the lawn, uh, we can sometimes think our role is more than it is and that we can mess it up more than we can. But uh, in reality, you're just inviting us to be a part of the story. You just want us to be involved because we're your kids and you love us. And so, um, God, would you give us the grace to see people as you do, to love people as you do, and to uh, take the risks to bring people to a true encounter with you. We know you're the one that does the work, so Jesus, we lift you up, we remind ourselves that you alone are all that we need. You're our savior, our sanctifier, our healer, our coming king. You are the good God who makes a way to go before us. So, um, God, we trust you. Work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.